Well, good morning. Do you ever catch yourself putting God in a box? You know, there are a lot of different ways we can put God in a box. And I want to uh, give you a, a definition a little bit of what that means. And my first principle right off the bat here this morning is this. Putting God in a box defines God by applying human wisdom. You see, what human wisdom does, it puts limits on what God can or cannot do. Therefore, you know, human wisdom expects God to play by our rules. And we play by our rules by stripping God sometimes of his identity. Have you ever done that in your own life? Where you say, you know, I thought God was a loving God. How could he allow that to happen? How could he allow this tragedy to happen? How come this person's dying of cancer? God, you know, you're a loving God. What's up with that? And we want to pick and choose the attributes of God. And so we limit God to our box of expectations. We forget that God's a holy God, a righteous God, an all-knowing, all-powerful God, the God of this universe. And when we limit God to our own expectations, we're applying really our human wisdom to those values. But what kind of people are likely to put God in a box? Me. I, I, I struggle with that all the time. When I, when I was born, my parents gave me the name Thomas. You figure it out. I was a doubter from the get-go. And I spent a lot of times in my life just questioning, God, what, what's up with this? Why, why did you choose to do this? What's up with that? And, and consequently, it was a little bit of a battle for me until I was 19. And I realized that, you know what? There's something bigger here that I need to get to know. Putting God in a box is really a difficult thing. And what Paul was trying to illustrate, we've been going through the book of Galatians talking about Jesus plus nothing. And this morning, Paul kind of touches on in Galatians that he's saying that when you try to apply human wisdom to the gospel, it could get really muddy. And so he writes now in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, he says, know this. He says, I am most emphatic here, friends. This great message, the gospel, I delivered to you is not mere human optimism, or we could say mere human wisdom. I didn't receive it through the traditions, and I wasn't taught it in some school. I got it straight from God, received the message directly from Jesus Christ. Paul is saying here to the Galatians, he says, look, you guys, you can, I, I've had all the education you can think of. I am an intellect. I, I, I really got it together intellectually. And I had all this teaching. But until I met Christ, that stuff didn't work for me. And I needed to meet Christ in order for that to happen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, he says it again to a church at Corinth. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. What? Not with human wisdom, essentially, and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So Paul said, look, I'm not talking about all these facts and figures. I just want to focus on Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, resurrected from the dead. That's the gospel. That's the most important thing. And if you get that, you're doing well. He emphasizes it a little bit more in in verses 13 and 14. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, he, he talks about his, his pre-conversion experience, how he was taught all this stuff. He was a Pharisee, remember? He, he was a, a person who had all this information going through his earthly computer, and he was intensely persecuting 
Jews who were coming to Christ. He said, so he said, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So Paul was really saying here that, listen, I had it all together intellectually. I had all the right teaching. I had all this stuff going for me. And yet I was doing the wrong thing because I didn't look at it through the eyes of God instead of I looked at it through secular wisdom. Let me give you a little bit of a uh, a chart here, an illustration of what I'm, I'm really trying to say. What Paul was saying is here, look, in the past, I was this young up-and-coming rising star in the Pharisee world. I had all the facts. I studied the Torah. I studied all the Old Testament. I had it all wired, and so I had all this information. In fact, I had it so well, I became a scholar. And then he said, by his own understanding, he was taking on the meaning of that. And the meaning of that was the law, if you remember right, in the Old Testament. And so he had all these principles and he reasoned through it and he became a teacher. That's why he was a Pharisee. But because he was filtering all of this information through his secular wisdom, his human wisdom, what he was doing is he had to come to a point of practicing what he was learning. And the way he practiced it was to what? destroy Christians who were buying the message of grace. So human wisdom virtually got him nowhere when it came to really a transformation in his life. And sometimes we think that if we just focus on God through our own human perspective, our human wisdom, that we're going to figure out God and it doesn't happen. And we'll get to that a little bit later. So before Christ, Paul had all the facts, and he interpreted those facts through the filter of human wisdom. So this is principle number two I want to share with you this morning. If you only apply human wisdom to the gospel, you will never come to a right understanding of its meaning. You'll never come to a right understanding of its meaning. You know, the problem is, is that there are people out there today who just think that Christianity is a bunch of bunk because it's all subjective. And if you're not an intellectual Um, if you're an intellectual at all, you're not going to buy this stuff. Immanuel Kant wrote this. He said, human reason is supreme authority. Given enough time, he can always figure things out and thus solve all problems. You know what that is? That's just downright arrogance. That we think that we can figure out God through our own human reasoning? That's ridiculous. It's crazy. And we're going to read about it in just a minute. In fact, why don't we do it now? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Paul writes this. He said, where can you find someone truly wise, truly educated, truly intelligent in this day and age? Hasn't God exposed it all as what? Pretentious nonsense. He goes on to say, since the world in all its fancy wisdom never had a clue when it came to knowing God, God in his wisdom took delight in using what the world considered dumb, preaching the gospel, if you will, of all things, to bring those who trust into him the way of salvation. What God is really saying here is that it's not anti-intellectualism, which basically says it's the rejection of reason, and it downplays academics, but what he is saying is that there has to be something else that happens to us in this transformation process called the salvation experience. So I want to take you back to the chart again, because even though secular wisdom or human wisdom does not convert us... It does give us a point to where it moves us to a place of decision. 
We've got to decide, just like we said in the chart, what are we going to do next? So a lot of us have maybe studied the facts in the past. We've created some meaning on it, and then we needed to understand what to do next with it. Well, when we think about this, I, I wanted to share with you that we need a, an example of this. And what Paul did was, is he used the example of Jesus Christ. That's what he preached. And here's why I say that, because if you ever share with somebody, and they've studied all these religions and wondering all, if there's any truth about anything, I've always taken people back and say, look, I'll tell you what, forget about the Old Testament stuff right now. Forget about what's going on in the world right now. I just want you to focus on Jesus Christ. I just want you to start there because you don't have to be brain dead to make believe, to believe in Christ. You don't have to be brain dead to understand that there are certain facts and things that are historical that you can base your decision on. And so I want to walk you through that a little bit to kind of see what happens with us when we have these transactions called the born-again experience. First of all, let's look at the knowledge side of things. On the knowledge side, let's just look at Jesus. And remember, knowledge is assimilating facts and information. So what do we, information do we have about Jesus? We know, number one, that historically he was a figure, right? I mean, all historians agree that Jesus walked on this planet. Secondly, we also know that Jesus claims that he was the Son of God. Nobody else has made that, that claim and backed it up, but Jesus Christ claimed he was Son of God. Now, he either was a liar or a lunatic, as some people say, or he was telling the truth. So you got to assess that. That's a part of your facts. Jesus predicted how he would die. He made it very clear how he was going to die, that he was going to be crucified on a cross, right? And that he was going to raise again. He predicted that he would resurrect, and indeed he did. That's a historical fact. Nobody's been able to argue or refute that fact scientifically or otherwise. Fifth, Jesus appeared to over 500 people after he resurrected. He actually had witnesses that saw that he was a living being after he had been crucified. His disciples even saw him ascend into heaven where he is today. So the point is, we have to look at this with our, even our human wisdom and say, this is information, I got to do something with it. I have to understand this. I have to figure this out. If you're on this journey of seeking God, you want to figure those facts out. And so the next step is to try to come to some understanding. Well, how do we do that? Well, the first question we always ask is what? Why? Why would Jesus do this? Well, if we study it and we realize that this is why he did it, reason number one. In one of Jesus' prayers, in John chapter 17, verse 1, and Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. What he's saying here is that my hour has come that I will be crucified and, and I will finish the mission because why I'm doing this is because I want to have an opportunity for people to have eternal life in heaven. That was my mission. That's why Jesus did that. Well, secondly, he did it because he loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we know that Jesus did this thing called the crucifixion and resurrection so that you and I would believe in him knowing that he loved us that much that he would do that. So that's a part of my understanding. Thirdly, man had proven over the years, thousands of years, that he's ungodly and sinful. And based upon that, he demanded a perfect sacrifice that would fix man's problem. So but God demonstrated his own love for us. In this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I need to realize or try to understand the fact that apparently I am not good enough without this intervention of this person, Jesus Christ, who died for me. So we assimilate all of that and we have a great understanding, a little bit of understanding of this. But now what do I do with this? What comes next? And most of you sitting here have made that next step. 
you, you've taken, but secular wisdom or worldly wisdom or human wisdom will only take us so far. But there's something that has to be a transaction there that goes beyond our brain. Because if it's only a brain decision, an intellectual decision, it's not really transforming the interior of our being, right? Because if we want true transformation, it's got to be something internalized, something that's going on inside us. And we call that the conversion experience, the born-again experience. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, okay? So there's this incredible spiritual transaction, and we have to decide whether we're going to believe this or not. You see, human wisdom will never push us over the hump of real transformation. It has to be an engagement and an encounter with the heart. And see, here's principle number three. The most important decision in a person's life is what am I to believe about Jesus Christ? That's the most important thing. Forget about all the peripheral, for all the other stuff. In fact, there's a, a guy sitting here this morning who's a dear friend of mine who I've been mentoring, and Jeff shared his testimony with me, and what he was saying to me was, he said, I tried to figure everything out before I was ready to make a decision to receive Christ. Anybody been there? You're trying to get logically come to a conclusion and get understanding of all these different pieces of the puzzle before you're going to say, I'm going to make this decision. And of course, an intellect would say, See, you're never going to come to that decision because it's beyond human reason. And, and so because you Christians have been so subjective, you took this blind leap of faith, right? Isn't that what you hear from some people? You, 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 you're just, you know, you're just being unreasonable and subjective. So Jeff struggled with that for a long period of time struggled with, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? And he just didn't really understand. And he was not ready to make a decision until one day, Tim Parker came, came to him and said, you know what, Jeff? Why don't you just concentrate on what you do understand? And the one thing he understood was Jesus Christ. Have a look at his video. So ultimately, by starting with what works, I was able to build a relationship with Christ. And through that relationship, I began to have many experiences. And these experiences uh, led to further understanding. So rather than relying on my own intellect to gain understanding, what worked for me was to start down the path through relationship with Christ and gain understanding that way. I want to expo- uh, explain that a little bit more. So I want you to look at this chart with me again. See, what Jeff was saying here, up to a point in his life, he was using human wisdom to analyze all the facts. And so he was using his head, but at that point, he was still blind, right? You remember Paul, when he had his conversion, if you go back to him, when he was struck down by the Holy Spirit on the, on the road to Damascus, and the Lord appeared to him, and then he went blind. It was almost like he was blinded. And so a lot of times when we only assess God by our human wisdom, we're really blind to truth. But he continued to do search, but at some point he had to stop and say, wait a minute, time out. I'm not going to have all the answers. And so consequently, somewhere along his journey, the heart engaged. Well, what happened there? What happened? Well, the Holy Spirit, that's what happened. 
See, we don't, we, don't, we don't give precedence oftentimes to the power of the Holy Spirit. And many of you can testify to this fact that along your life journey, somewhere along the way, as you learned about the facts about what Jesus did for you, there was something in your heart, something in your inner being, something in your spirit that was drawing you or pulling at you or gnawing at you, right? There was this compulsivity or something there that was going beyond your head, but it was starting to attack your heart. And and until your heart gets engaged in that decision, there's no real transformation. Otherwise, it's merely an intellectual process. And if it's not changing your heart, then you're not a new creation. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who enlightens us. You see, godly wisdom comes through the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. So the point is, that's principle number four. But I want to illustrate that when I I read this particular scripture to you, because I think you're going to get it, which is really, really fun. Here's 1 Corinthians 2, 6, and 7. Now, pay, pay, pay really close attention here because when you, oh, let me just read it. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to what? Nada, nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by what? By his spirit. Here's my point. When you actually make that transition and you listen to your heart and you make that heart transmission, Who comes inside you? The Holy Spirit, right? He's the one that actually resides in your being. So the Spirit then searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows the person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Are you getting it here? Keep going. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world. but the Spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit, he doesn't accept those things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are not discerned only, they're only discerned through the what? The Holy Spirit. So the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human wisdom or judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Oh, is this pretty powerful? But we have what? The mind of Christ. Here's the point. Can we go back to that other uh, illustration again, Mike? You see, what's really cool is when we allow our heart to engage in the process. When we, you can use all of your human wisdom up to a point, but when you let your heart engage, the Holy Spirit comes in, and now instead of human wisdom, we are now anointed with godly wisdom. Because why? Because we now have the Holy Spirit interpreting a lot of things that are going on in life, and life becomes a lot more sensible when we start looking at it through the eyes of the Holy Spirit. 
That's what's really cool. So a lot of people that you're trying to explain the gospel to along your life's journey, they say, well, I, I don't get it. And I don't get this faith thing. And it seems to me awfully subjective. I'll never forget a, a guy that I shared with. I think I've shared this before in, in this context so, about a guy that I shared uh, the gospel with. And he said, you know, I, I, I get all this stuff. I've studied all the facts, but I don't get this faith thing. And I said, you're just being prideful. He says, no, I'm not. Isn't secular wisdom putting God in a box? And, and so he's being prideful. He walks by faith every single day of his life. When he starts his car, when he turns the light switch on, we are walking by faith every day, folks. So what is so crazy about stepping out in faith when it comes to the transition with Christ, when we have all those facts and figures and historical documents? So when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, we go from human wisdom, and now we have an extra dose of godly wisdom. We can start seeing life differently. It makes more sense. Now, does it always make sense when we look at, at the eyes? Because what happens is then, after we come to know Christ, like myself... We fluctuate, don't we? We go back here and some days we put God in a box again, right? And then some days we say, oh, now I get it. Okay, God, I understand you, God, me, man, right? And so we go through our life's journey, vacillating some days between human wisdom and godly wisdom, but the beauty of coming to know Christ is you have an interpreter that's able to make sense out of this crazy world we live in. I got a little wound up in that. I'm sorry. So what happens is now is that you get your head into the game. Now your heart's in the game. And now you're a practitioner. Now you're doing it. Now you're obeying what you know. And so now everything in this transition process, your head's engaged, your heart's engaged, and your obedience is engaged. And now we know if you truly know Christ. Because there are some people by the way, that don't use their head. And they just make an emotional decision, right? And sometimes those emotional decisions are fraudulent. And sometimes we just make a head decision. And we know that even the demons believe, right? Even they have their heads engaged, but their hearts aren't. So it's a double transaction here that gives us the point where we can go over to this other side of the coin and say, you know what? Now I've got a better perspective. What happened with Paul? After his eyes are blinded, his eyes are open, and now he could see. And that's why he's saying, look, you guys, stop adding anything more. Just focus on Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That's what Paul preached. Don't add anything to it. Stop putting God in a box. Stop playing games. Stop trying to have God play by your rules, because that's one of the most arrogant things you could possibly do. And I got to tell you that godly wisdom principle number four comes through the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. So I want to throw that in at the end here. But I want you to know that I still struggle with this stuff. And I don't know if you do, but I, I sure do in my life. I'll give you one bad example. When I say bad example, because it's a good example, but I was a bad example. I remember waking up one morning years ago and, and I was going to share my faith with this one police officer down at Phoenix. And I said to God, I said, God, um... Listen, I'm going to share the gospel with this guy this morning. I've got a burden for him. And if I get up the nerve to do this, then I expect you to make sure that this thing works well. So I went down there and I shared. I got nothing. 
And I came back and I'm thinking, hey, God, what's up with you? I got the nerve up. I was brave enough and crazy enough to share my faith with you and you didn't show up. How arrogant is that? You see, we do that a lot in our lives. We have these expectations and we we have these prayers that we put out. And when God doesn't perform, he's not our little genie in a bottle. That's when we use our human wisdom and we're putting him in a box. And you say, God, why aren't you playing by my rules? Let me close with some questions this morning. Where are you putting God in the box? Where are you expecting God to play by your rules? Is it your health? Is it your finances? Is it a relationship? Is it the political arena? The world situations? Where are you putting God in a box? Secondly, where are you tempted to find God with only human wisdom? And what I mean by that is that we're so good at picking and choosing God's attributes. Have you noticed that? I, I get this conversation all the time from people who aren't believers, and they say, why would a loving God allow people to go to hell? Or why would a loving God have all those Jews killed during World War II? Why would a loving God have ISIS on the planet? Why would a loving God have all this disease and earthquakes and famine? Why would a loving God? And I'm thinking, okay. You're defining God by one of his moral attributes. And we're all tempted to do that. I'm going to be preaching in a minor prophet here in a couple of weeks at my old church and down in Phoenix, and I'm going to be preaching in Zephaniah. And you know what the minor prophets always said? You guys are taking God for granted. You're putting God in your box and meeting your expectations. And you know what? Someday you're going to be judged oh, wait a minute, that's a holy, righteous God coming out, isn't it? What happened to the loving God there? You see, we have a tendency to pick and choose, and we don't understand all all the attributes of who God is, that he's a a God of love, he's a righteous God, he's a holy God, he's a just God, he's an all-knowing God, he's an all-powerful God, he's the God of the universe, he created me. And we start playing games with God and we have all these expectations and we pick and choose those attributes and he's saying, get a life, man. I'm God, you man. So you got all of me or you got none of me? So where are you trying to define God right now? How come there's so much suffering in the world, God? How come I'm dealing with this right now, God? Here's the third question. Where is God inviting you to stop trying to control him and to start trusting him? When are we going to let it go? We've been trying to figure this thing out for years for some of you, and maybe for some of you, it's at this point saying, I've been controlling my own life for a long period of time because I don't get this thing about God. I don't understand this stuff about God. And, but how's it working for you? How is it working for you that you're trying to control your life and you're not giving over control of your life to God? So where do you think God is inviting you right now to say, time out here. God, you're a whole lot bigger than me. I'm trying to pull this off myself and it isn't working. 
I'm going to give control over to you because you're the one that's got it wired and I don't. See, when you get to that point, what are you exercising? Godly wisdom. Because you understand who God is and who you are. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, there's so many times that I've tried to put you in the box. And I know there's every one of these people that are sitting here have done it and continue to do it often. God, forgive us for that. I'm so grateful that you look at us and you know how feeble and finite we are at times. And I know you put up with a lot. But God, remind us of who you are. All of who you are. There may be somebody here this morning, Father, that has tried to approach you intellectually for a long time, and they've hit a wall. But yet this morning, your Holy Spirit is tugging at them pushing them, convicting them, motivating them, whatever that looks like. God, I don't know what that internalization looks like, but you do. And it's a mystery to all of us. But Lord, we've, many of us have experienced it. And God, I pray that this morning they wouldn't resist, that they would recognize the reality of your presence in their life and they're, they're poking at their heart right now. And God, I pray that that person would just say yes to know that their eyes would then be spiritually open and the blinders will come off and they will gain a whole new perspective on their life and the life around them. Oh God, I pray that there would be somebody here this morning that would desire that in their life. That they're done doing their research. They're done trying to find logic in so many things. But they're just willing to say yes to you, Lord and to take that step. If, if you're that person this morning, would you lift your hand up? I would love to pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else? God speaking to you this morning. And, and Lord, I pray for that person right now who's struggling with you, who's maybe a little bit mad at you, frustrated with you, struggling asking those questions, why God? I pray that this morning has been an encouragement to remember that you got it all under control. You, you got it wired and we don't. And there's probably days where we'll never really understand why we're on this earth, but thank God someday, Lord, we will stand face to face with you. And then we'll see more clearly what you had in mind. But in the meantime, Lord, help us to remember that you're God and we're not. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.